Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sampson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Zachary LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche, I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Hey, good weekend, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Appreciate you stopping by this weekend. If you're a newcomer to the show, then welcome aboard. If you're a returning listener, thanks for coming back. And if you're a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, extra special thank you to you because you're what keeps the show going. $2 a month to subscribe. You get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a uh, full episode of the show and it's even less than that if you sign up for a annual subscription. Ends up being about $21 instead of $24 for 2 bucks a month. But sincerely, really appreciate that uh, ongoing support. Thank you very much. The program, of course, is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. It's uh, so tender and delicious. I actually have a craving for some right now, so I might actually be popping out and picking up a new batch this weekend. And for me, it would be in Spruce Grove, because that's the closest location to where I live. But there's another one in Leduc, that's the original, and the kiosk in West Edmonton Mall. And of course, if you don't live in the Edmonton area, you can still get it shipped to you anywhere in Western Canada by going to wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. Big show coming up for you today, and... Uh, it's kind of funny how I put this one together. We'll get to it in a second. I'll tell you who's joining me, courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Uh, but we got lots of news and notes we want to get to. Uh, first, we'll start with the Centennial Cup. This is the nine champions from the nine Junior A leagues under the Hockey Canada umbrella. So that does not include the BCHL. And they are all meeting in Portage La Prairie, Manitoba. And so the Terriers are uh, the host team. The tournament started yesterday, that would be Thursday, May 11th, with three games. The Battleford's North Stars out of uh, the Saskatchewan Junior Hockey League uh, beating the Cam River Fighting Walleye from the Superior International Junior Hockey League. That would be around the Great Lakes region. A 4-1 the final score in that contest. The Brooks Bandits out of the AJHL taking down the Yarmouth Mariners from the Maritimes. A 7-2 the final in that game. And the Collingwood Blues from the OJHL defeated the Steinbach Pistons, uh, the Manitoba Junior Hockey League champs, uh, 2-1. That one went to overtime on Friday. One game, as I'm speaking with you right now, is underway. The Ottawa Junior Senators 
from uh, the CCHL, one of the leagues in Ontario. Uh, they have a one nothing lead over uh, Terrebonne from Quebec. Still to come today, Timmins against Yarmouth, and uh, Steinbach gets right back at it again against uh, the host, the Portage Terriers. So that tournament will be going on, wrapping up next weekend. So uh, next Friday, uh, we'll be able to update you. That'll be basically the semifinals, I think, or close to it. They play Friday, Saturday, and Sunday is when the uh, championship wraps up. So lots of hockey still to come. I believe it's all being streamed on Hockey Canada's website, although you do have to pay for that. Of course, the CHL finals get underway this weekend. The uh, London Knights started it last night with a victory over the Peterborough Pete, so they are up one to nothing in the OHL final. In the queue, it's Halifax against Quebec. That starts tonight, and in the WHL, it is a Seattle playing in Winnipeg tonight. And the Winnipeg Ice getting to move uh, to the home of the Winnipeg Jets for this final, uh, which is good to see. And hopefully there's a big crowd. Really interesting because Quebec is playing in front of like 17,000, 18,000 people. Uh, the London Knights have a 10,000-seat uh, facility, so they're getting, you know, they're selling out all the time. And now Winnipeg has a chance to move up into that echelon. And, you know, when they're used to playing in front of 12, 1,300 people, you know, 1,600, 1,700 if they really push it, and suddenly you have the potential to be playing in front of, you know, well over 10,000, up to 15, I believe. Uh, let's see if uh, the Winnipeg Ice fan base uh, comes out in support. Hope so. Uh, speaking of the WHL, busy week in the league because they had the U.S. draft on uh, Wednesday and then the what used to be called the Bantam draft. Now it's just the WHL draft. Uh, that went on Thursday. The U.S. draft uh, saw Spokane picking first. They took a player named Brody Gillespie, who's from Portland, Oregon, but played in Kelowna this past year for uh, the Rink Academy. Uh, his teammate, Cruz Waltz, went uh, second overall to the Victoria Royals. And the Royals signed him right away, so that that's good to see. And the Edmonton Oil Kings also did that with their pick. They were going, uh, th- they were third overall, and they took a player named Alofa Tanoa Tamu. He's a defenseman, and they signed him right away as well. Uh, just goes by Noah. So thank you for that, Noah. <laughs> Noah Tamu is his name. Uh, I checked with uh, Andrew Peart. Apparently, his father is from Hawaii. Uh, that's why it sounds very Hawaiian. What a story that would be if the Oil Kings drafted a Hawaiian player. I guess they kind of did, uh, but he was playing in California. Then after the U.S. draft, uh, the regular draft was held, and that's a huge day for the Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, they had the number one, the number two, and the number seven pick. They go out and uh, get one of the best, uh, well, best defensemen available and uh, one of the best WHL names available, Daxon Rudolph, uh, the first overall pick of the Raiders, and they follow that up with uh, Riley Boychuk, who had a big season in Airdrie, and their number seven pick was Ty Munier, who had a monster year as well offensively. So three really big additions there for the uh, Prince Albert Raiders. Uh, Mathis Preston was taken third overall by the Spokane Chiefs, and I know when we had Joel Henderson on last week, uh, some talk about uh, how he might have been the number one pick for a lot of people. Now, I don't know this for certain, but at this age, you kind of wonder, all right, was that a situation? This is a kid from Penticton, B.C. Uh, for some players, Prince Albert is, you know, north, small market. Maybe you don't want to go, especially if you're from B.C., where you're used to uh, a fairly mild winter. I don't know this, but maybe Mathis uh, Preston didn't want to go to P.A. 
Uh, ends up going, he's uh, taken by the Spokane Chiefs, so potentially a, a much more comfortable spot for him. Uh, the Victoria Royals were picking fourth, and they took uh, big Keaton Verhoff, defenseman from Fort Saskatchewan. He's like six foot four already. Remember, we're drafting 14 and 15 year olds here. The Brandon Wheat Kings, Jackson Jacobson is their guy, happens to be the son of the owner of the Wheat Kings. But as we talked about with Joel Henderson last week, it's going to sound like nepotism, uh, but Jacobson is that good of a player. He was the highest rated player out of Manitoba, so really not a surprise uh, that he gets taken by his hometown team, the Brandon Wheat Kings, just happened to be owned by his father. Vancouver had two picks in the top 10 at number six and number eight. They come away with Ryan Lynn and Brett Olson. Lynn, a defenseman, Brett Olson, a forward from uh, St. Albert. And the the uh, the two guys I was wondering where they were going to go were the Ruck brothers. They're twins. They were the number one and number two scorers in the CSSHL this past season. Uh, they ended up both going to the Medicine Hat Tigers. Now, the Tigers had the number nine pick, and they selected Liam. And then they traded up at 21 to get Marcus. I'm a little surprised that he was still there at 21. But uh, good on Medicine Hat. Willie Desjardins uh, doing what he needed to do to get both brothers. like to see that. Now, again, I don't know the names of these players. I don't know the players at all. That's why I had uh, Joel on the show last week to try to give us a little bit of inside information uh, on some of these guys. Uh, the Calgary Hitman took Noah Kosick at number 11. Really small, but super talented. Uh, Edmonton's choice is uh, a familiar name, recognizable name, Joe Aginla. Tri-City came away with Cruz Paveo. You can see the full list of players at the WHL's website, whl.ca. Now, in the USHL, the uh, Clark Cup Finals begin tonight. It's Youngstown in Fargo for games one and two. And then, thankfully, they've got a six-day break uh, until game three. It's also the longest travel you can have in the uh, USHL, Fargo to Youngstown. It's You're going from North Dakota to Ohio, and in fact, almost Pennsylvania. So they'll play games one and two uh, tonight and tomorrow. That'll be Friday and Saturday, and then the 19th will be game three. It's a best of five series, so they would play games three and four uh, in Youngstown if necessary. Game four would be on May 20th, and they would wrap up game five on May 23rd. We'll see what happens in the Clark Cup final. In the North American Hockey League, they're down to the, the division finals. In the East, it's Maryland against Maine, and the Black Bears leading that series two games to none. Oklahoma has a two games to none lead over the Shreveport Mudbugs. That's in the South Division final. In the Central, it's Austin against St. Cloud, tied 1-1. Wisconsin against Minnesota in the uh, Midwest, and that series is also tied 1-1. The four teams that uh, end up being their division champs, they will all meet in Blaine, Minnesota, where they have a nice little tournament. I actually really like the way the North American Hockey League wraps up their playoffs, much like a Memorial Cup tournament. Uh, They'll be in Blaine, Minnesota, so neutral territory for that little tournament. That'll uh, start in a couple of weeks, so that's awesome. uh, I think Jordan McAlpine from the Rink Live will probably be there for covering it, so we'll uh, get him on once we know those four teams. All right, that's going to do it for the news and notes. Let's get to the guest list. Of course, the uh, guests all join me courtesy of the Troubled Monk hotline with your tap room in Red Deer and the website troubledmonk.com slash shop where you can see all the different beverages that they have available. It's not just craft beer. We have craft soda and uh, spirits available as well. 
and I think Troubled Monk does a great job with their gin. If you're in Alberta, you can go to your local liquor store, and if they don't have it in stock, you can request that they get it in for you. Uh, check out troubledmonk.com slash shop. All right, the guest list, uh, and I think you'll see the theme here uh, very early. We're going to begin the show with uh, Derek Laxdahl. He's the head coach and the assistant general manager of the Oshawa Generals. Now, I knew him, obviously, when he was the head coach of the Edmonton Oil Kings, winner of two WHL championships and the last team to uh, win the Memorial Cup that came from the WHL back in 2014. After that season, he went on to the uh, American Hockey League, where he was the head coach of the Texas Stars, also uh, coached two and a half years on the NHL bench as an assistant coach until last summer. And then I sort of lost track. I didn't hear how he had ended up in Oshawa. Uh, So we have a nice conversation about that. And one thing about uh, Derek Laxdahl, it doesn't sugarcoat anything, doesn't pull any punches. Uh, He was very... I asked him about his team and his season this year in Oshawa, and uh, I think uh, it might be a bit of an eye-opener, uh, some of his comments. Not something you usually hear from uh, from a coach, which is great. Uh, from Derek Laxdahl, we go to Derek Newmeyer, who's a, a scout with McKean's Hockey. He's our guest to tee up the WHL final. We're going to compare the Winnipeg Ice and the Seattle Thunderbirds in depth. Derek Laxdahl is our guy for the uh, OHL, by the way as we uh, talk about Peterborough and London from his perspective. Uh, But Derek has uh, some great rundown on uh, both teams in the dub, including some of the draft-eligible players that you're going to take note of in this series. And we will end things this week uh, with an NCAA campus report. Derek Schooley, the head coach from the Robert Morris Colonials, as uh, RMU is back after a two- or three-year hiatus as that program was about to be scrapped. And then, uh, well, we'll let uh, Derek uh, tell the story how the uh, the hockey program in the Pittsburgh area at the Division One college level uh, was uh, saved. And they are back on the ice this coming season. So we've got Derek Laxdahl, Derek Newmeyer, and Derek Schooley all on this week's episode. We begin with the uh, coach and assistant GM of the Oshawa Generals. That's Derek Laxdahl. He's up first here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Here's Perlini. Perlini loads it up and he scores! It's a hat Hey, it's Brendan Perlini from Niagara Ice Dogs, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Jack Turkey is a little over the line, my man. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and we're going to begin this week's episode uh, heading out to the OHL. We know the uh, finalists in the OHL are now set. It'll be the London Knights and the Peterborough Peets. Uh, but the guest that I'm having on today, well, maybe we can pick his brain and get a uh, a, a preview of the final and maybe a prediction. I, I don't know if uh, 
my next guest will do that or not. Derek Laxdahl, though, is the uh, head coach and the assistant GM of the Oshawa Generals. Uh, Laxie, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. It's been a long time. How are you? Yeah, it's been a long time. I think it's been almost, what, uh, seven, uh, seven, eight years now. It's been great. How are you doing? I'm doing terrific. Uh, and I'll be honest, I told you this before we started, but I kind of lost track of you after you, you know, I knew you were in, in the Dallas slash Texas uh, Stars organization, but I, I was like, uh, I wonder where Laxie is these days. And I pulled it up and you were in Oshawa and I, that completely escaped me this year. Back to the CHL. And uh, just maybe if you can uh, tell the, the listeners, I know how things ended in Dallas, but how did they start in Oshawa for you? Well, it was uh, it was it was a crazy summer. Like we, uh, I've never in in 22 years, I've never been let go as a coach, head coach, or assistant coach, and it was a real it was real tough on on me and my wife here, obviously having to move out of Dallas and and, uh, and head back to Canada and back to Manitoba. But you know, we did it, and then we were looking for, uh, for jobs throughout the summer and and uh, kicking tires in NHL jobs and. You know, came down to a lot of uh, you know myself and other coaches, and and not getting the uh, the final look, and and then uh, I think I got it almost the first week or second week of August. I was going down head to head with a job in the American League, and uh, I did not get the job. But the two of us were also in in uh, the running for the uh, OHL job with the Oshawa General. So <laughs> um, uh, when the other gentleman got the job in Hershey, Todd Nelson, uh, the next day I got a call from the owner in Oshawa, and. It wasn't even an interview. He just offered me the job over the phone. So, wow. um, it worked out good. It worked out good. You know, it was great to, uh, great to be working back as a head coach. I hadn't been a head coach for three years, so it was good to get back there. Do you have to change gears in a way to go from coaching men to coaching 16 to 20 year olds again? Is there a big difference? Well, you know, it's funny. It's, as uh, I, I ran into Steve Hamilton when we were in the uh, Cal- uh, Calgary for the playoff series with Dallas and we were talking about the, uh, the younger generation of players coming up here and the, uh, you know the the 06s and the 07s and he said it's it's it was totally changed from when we were coaching the old kings from 10 to 14 and from what i understand and, and this is nothing against the kids in, in the ontario league is the kids out of the gta out of that area are are so entitled that uh you know it was a, it was a little bit of an eye-opening experience for me to go into that environment and just kind of get my my hands around it and get a feel for it and just kind of develop your coaching technique, how you're going to deal with these kids. And they are different. The, kid, the kids are different nowadays. They're different in the American Hockey League, and they're different in the National Hockey League, and, and you as a coach have to adapt. And I thought going back to the OHL was a, a good step for me to move forward, to get back and just kind of see what's, you know, that was kind of my, my whole goal of going back to Edmonton in the first place, to see what's coming forward. Hmm. And now it's just a whole new, new generation of players. So it was, uh, and it was a good move for me. So do you think uh, when you had that conversation with uh, Steve Hamilton, uh, for the listeners who don't know, you and he were on the bench in Edmonton uh, during the Oil Kings uh, success in the mid-teens Memorial Cup in 2014. But when you were having that conversation with him, comparing the kids now to back then, does he think the, the same in the WHL or the uh, 15, 16 year olds a little bit more entitled than they used to be? Yeah, he did. You know, it's, uh, you know, and, and not to, you know, throw Steve under the bus. He just said that the, the players changed. Yeah. And we all know what the players change. You look at the National Hockey League, you talk about coaching situations. The player is changing every day. And, uh, you know, just a new generation player. And, and it's an interesting. It's like they want to know what um, you're going to do for them. They want to know what's in it for them. They want to know what's at the end of the rainbow before they have to put the work in. Back in the old days, you put the work in because, you know, if you didn't put the work in, you're not going to get a chance to, to get the results. So they want to know, they want to know what kind of, what's in it for them before they have to, you know, put the effort in. I think that's in today's, uh, I think, I think today's 
kids in general. Like I talk to people who run businesses and they're having a hell of a time finding kids that want to work. Well, Derek, tell me about the season uh, for the Generals. You get into the playoffs, uh, early exit uh, from the postseason, but uh, getting back to the CHL and and uh, finding a way to get into the playoffs. You know, two and eight down the stretch doesn't exactly scream a uh, hot streak uh, to go into the playoffs. Uh, so I don't know what your expectations were for the year, but uh, you said you enjoyed the season. Uh, how was it in overall? Well, I'll start from the beginning. When I first went into Oshawa, I'm being honest here, Guy. I've, I've never seen I – do, I do a conditioning test. I run a training camp. I've never seen a group of players so far out of shape in my life. And I know they were they were monitored over the summer, and, they, you know, they had workout programs in place. But we actually couldn't believe it, uh, the test that we did and the results that we got. So we really had to tear this thing down and try and build it back up. And that being said is uh, the Oshawa Generals, you know, I think in 18 they were building the team for the Memorial Cup. So they've traded out – four or five years of picks and then the pandemic hit now they were really behind the eight ball and i think the last two years the owner had his son playing there rock two though had his son ty who was a edmonton or the draft pick who was playing for the for the Ottawa generals they were really trying to go for it when ty was there so when i got in here this year the cupboards were pretty bare and we actually made a couple trades early on just picked up a couple you know guys that nobody wanted and they kind of fit into our lineup real well and, and uh so we were really uh, struggling throughout the season. I don't think we won a game in November. We, we were, I think we we're the second or the youngest team in the Ontario Hockey League. So we were playing at times five and six 2006 players, which were 16-year-olds. Wow. And uh, we've got some good ones coming. Uh, Bennett Seneca and Ben Danford and David Butkowski are going to be good players. Uh, so we got through the season. Uh, you know, obviously we got through the second half. And then I think the last month of the season, we lost our top defenseman to a broken wrist. We lost uh, a top Euro, a uh, 20-year-old Euro to a broken arm the last 15 games. So we were playing, we were playing three oh sixes on the back end and a forward in our, in our top 5D. So uh, we, were, we were struggling. Our goaltending wasn't great all year, but um, the saving grace was, I think, I think Kingston might have went 3-17 and 17 down the stretch. Yeah. And so it came, to, it came down to us the last, well, we were battling. We went into Mississauga, beat Mississauga on a Friday night to clinch to get in. And then we played Kingston on the Sunday, the last game of the season. <laughs> I think our guys had just, you know, they'd gone so hard. We ended up getting crushed 10-2 by Kingston. So yeah. thank God it didn't come down to that. But uh, we got into playoffs. We won a game against Ottawa. We probably should have won game five. But uh, our goaltending was just okay as the whole year. I think the goaltending in the OHL is just okay from what I've seen. But that was the year in a nutshell. It was it was pretty entertaining. It had a lot of ups and downs and a, a lot of uh, you know a lot of work with the kids. But you know what? A lot of kids had career years. Uh, we had a free agent, twenty year old, got a contract with the Columbus Blue Jackets. We have a possible first round pick, Kalen Ritchie, who came back off a, sh- a shoulder dislocation. He's getting surgery this week, but he played really well in the U eighteen. So he'll probably be a top twenty pick in the NHL draft. So uh, there's some really good. It's almost like going into my second year with the Edmonton Oil Kings. The the future looks really bright, and I think that's a positive. Uh, you mentioned Caleb uh, Ritchie. Uh, maybe uh, from the head coach's perspective, can you give us a bit of a scouting report? Big centerman, right-handed centerman. Sometimes those guys are weight, worth their weight in gold. Yeah, you know what I really liked about Caleb is is you know obviously he was in the Ivan Lincoln, and that's where he popped his shoulder the first time. So give him credit for playing the whole year without re-injuring it. I think he was a little tentative in certain situations, but. He's a big six-two center that does everything well. Like you, you know, he defends well. He's good in the circle. He can score. He's a good setup guy. Like he's he's got a well-rounded game, and so the sky's the limit for him. He has a high ceiling to excel 
in a lot of areas, but he does everything very well. The biggest area that he really has to focus on is the compete, the consistent compete. And a lot of kids have to work on that, but that's the one area. Um, he had such a really good year at 16. They thought his 17, you know, there would be a breakout year, but to be fair to him, he really never had a, an 18 or 19 year old, like a well-rounded winger to play with. He had a 16 year old who put up 55 points and he had a 20 year old who had a career year, who got a contract in American league next year. So he, he, you know, give him credit. He battled through, he didn't complain and he just uh, got through the season. So I think he's relieved going through the draft now. And I think once he's drafted and goes through an NHL camp, I think you'll see him take off. Now, no rest for the wicked. Uh, the Oshawa generals have some stuff going on here right away, right? You're back in the rink this weekend. Yeah, I fly out of uh, I fly out of Winnipeg on Friday. We have our orientation camp, so that's the one big difference between the Western League and the OHL. We draft the players a year later at 15, and I really think it's beneficial because it, you know, last year we had we had six kids come in out of our draft that played for us, which yeah. is incredible, and played the whole year. Um, and then the 16 year olds don't have to uh, play. I don't know if the Western League's changed, but I know when I coached there, they had to play 40 games. We they can play 10, they can play five. They can play whatever when our kids come out of that draft. So, but um, I just found that the, it's, it was neat to see kids kind of, it's almost like the N, uh, NFL or the NCAA football. They come right out of the draft and they step in and play. I, I thought that was very intriguing as a coach. And uh, it allows you, you know, if you have a, you know, you make trades for the future, you can really get your team turned around within one or two years instead of three or four in the Western League when you have to wait for those kids for two years. Well, it's an interesting perspective to hear it from the coach because. From my perspective, just as a, a a fan of the WHL, I kind of you get excited about the the draft and those players, and then you have to remind yourself, oh right, they're not available next year. You got to wait a year and a half, and that sucks. That takes some of the excitement and the thrill out of it to me. Well, it does. It's a little bit like the NHL draft, right? You know, you draft the kids, and there's the odd kid that's going to make it. Uh, there's the odd kid that's going to surprise you and take a step from the draft till the time to start the season starts and. Um, you know, we've got, we drafted a young center, a uh, young center that named Owen Griffith. He's supposed to be a heck of a hockey player. I'm, I'm really looking forward to meeting him. And we took a goalie in the second round and, uh, this kid's supposed to be lights out. So we're really, uh, you know, the cornerstones of our franchise are, are starting to really look uh, much better than they did last year going into the training camp. So, uh, we're quite excited about that, but I just found, you know, even around the league, seeing some of these young kids, like, you know, these young oh sixes were, you know, six foot three, 180 pounds, could skate, I, the talent is incredible. Like the, you know, just it's just it's a consistent compete. It's the defensive side of the game, and uh, the one thing I found he in the uh, Ontario Hockey League, it is a very wide open league. Like there's certain teams that play with structure and uh, you know checking responsibilities. Uh, you know, Peterborough's in the in the final now against London. London checks well. Uh, I think uh, Barry checked well. We checked well. Ottawa checked well, and they seem to be the most consistent teams. But there is a lot. Like this Saginaw team next. You want to see a team that's got high octane? Yeah, they are high octane next year. Well, before we move away from the OHL, uh, you got a prediction or what should we expect uh, from the OHL final between uh, Peterborough and London? Interestingly, it's not the number one seed in either conference. In fact, Peterborough is the four, number four team uh, in the Eastern Conference. So it's a seems like it might be uh, a little bit more wide open. But you're a lot closer to it. Uh, what do you expect? Well, you know, it's interesting. Peterborough going into the season was supposed to be the number one seed in the East by far. And for some reason, they just couldn't get their mojo together throughout the year. Uh, I think Kingston beat them like seven times. Barry beat them like six times. And they just couldn't find their way. And they made a couple of big trades. They brought in uh, Brendan Ottman in, who played in the World Juniors. And 
It just there just seemed to be something wrong, and it looks like they found their way a little bit in the playoffs here. Uh, they got through Ottawa in six games. They just knocked off. Uh, you know, they battled back being down 3-2 against North Bay. It was a very good hockey club. So it looks like they found their way a little bit. London London is a very good team. Like, they're kind of in that middle. You know, they might have this year and next year, but their back end's very young. They got Mayu, they bonk, and then the 16-year-old Dickinson kid. Like, they're well-rounded in a, in a hunter team. They play hard. They check hard. They're in your face. They grind it out. They're structured. So um, that's going to be a tough one. I'm, you know, the goaltender for London is hurt, I believe. I don't know if he's brochure. I don't know if he's back or not. Right. Uh, their young backup played very well in games, I think, five and six. So I think it's going to go six or seven, and I'm going to have to go with – I'm getting, I think I'm going to go with Peterborough. That's the prediction from uh, Derek Laxtell. Uh, uh, Derek, I want to touch on some more stuff uh, with you because you're a, you're a Western guy. You're from Manitoba, played in the WHL, coached in the WHL. Now that you're in the OHL, is there a huge difference between the two leagues? The first thing that comes to mind for me is travel. Uh, what, what, what's your take on that? Well, you hit the nail right on the head, Guy. Um, we had, believe this or not, we had eight travel nights. We were in a hotel this year in Edmonton with the Oil Kings in my four years. I think we averaged 60 nights a year. Is that incredible? That is incredible. Can you, like, can you describe that to the, the, the players and stuff? How easy, really quote unquote, easy that they have it compared to the, uh, the WHL and probably the Q too. I mean, there's a bigger footprint geographically in the Q than there is in the OHL. Yeah, if you if you look at like uh, Peterborough's forty minutes, Miss Sog's an hour, Barry's an hour, Hamilton's an hour, London's an hour, Kitchener's an hour and a half, London's two, Windsor's four. Our longest trip, we went up to Sudbury, which was four hours, and then we went up to Sault Ste. Marie, which is another four, and then the night traveling back was eight hours, and we only had to do that once. I remember our playoff series against Brandon; we were going thirteen hours each way. Yeah. We did that four times in one series, and it's just it's just a lot easier on the kids. Uh, when the kids go to school the next morning, you know, I'll give our kids credit with the Oil Kings. When we got home at 6 or 7 in the morning, they went to school. So, you, you know, those kids are dedicated, and maybe they get a little bit more adversity in the end. But um, the travel schedule is really huge. Like, I don't think the kids really understand how different it is. Um, the one thing, I, I talked to a lot of scouts about, you know, the two differences in the league, and they tend to say that the Western Hockey League is a little harder, a little grittier. Than the OHL, but the OHL might have a little bit more skill, a lot, a little more, a lot more higher end skilled players. Um, now, now, obviously, the Connor Bedard, he's right up there. But I think in general, like there's just seems to be more, more across the board out of that GTA and, and and all that area, basically probably based on population, right? Well, and for yourself, uh, the next step for you, you're back with Oshawa. I don't know how long of a contract you have or anything like that, but is the the end goal eventually to get back to? Uh, professional hockey for yourself yeah it is you know um, um i actually my, my owner is very generous he actually ended up giving me a four-year deal three years and my option and uh i can't complain um but you know i told him going in for that you know my goal is to get back to the american hockey league or the national hockey league obviously preferably but um the one thing that i, I guess so it, just talking i've been talking to a few people here and there is the one thing i really do like uh, probably better than the uh, junior hockey is the schedule just the daily schedule of practice in the morning and then you know doing your work in the afternoon and then and then going from there just the junior schedule is a little bit tougher because you know uh when you're an early riser you get up in the morning and you have your older kids come in at 10 and then you do work with them and then the kids come from school at noon and then you practice at 1 30 by the time you're out of the rink and workout it's five it, it's a pretty long day and that gets pretty taxing on you but um 
you know, once you get back into the grind and, and you figure it out and you kind of get into the groove, it's, it's, you know, if you're coaching, you're coaching hockey and you're doing what you love and, and you just, you, uh, you do it. Excellent. You still uh, finding the lucky penny here and there? Uh, you know what? I, the nose is always down looking for pennies. I'm probably not as superstitious as I was, but at the end of the day, if I do find one, I do pick it up, but I don't tell anybody that. Uh, I kind of keep that on the back burner. But, uh, you know, it's just, it's funny because my, uh, my staff, uh, you know, I, I plucked a coach out of the Western Hockey League, Steve O'Rourke, who was very good for me and during training camp. And my other, uh, Mike Hen is a former player, and my GM, Roger Hunt, they are very superstitious, so I let them handle that. And I just kind of, I don't tell them about my little quirks. Other than Steve Hamilton, have you uh, kept in contact or run into any, any former uh, Oil King players or, or staff? Yeah, I do. You know what? I kind of reach out to guys here and there. I talked to Mitch Rose a little bit here and there. and was reaching out to Curtis Lazar, and, and I saw Dyson Mayo when he was in the Phoenix organization. And uh, I talk quite frequently with Bob Green. Uh, we, we have a great relationship. And I uh, saw Randy Hanch on the circuit here this year. He was coming in to scout one of our players. Um, I think right at the end of the season, I didn't get a chance to say hi, but we did connect on the phone. But uh, obviously, do trying to, you know, and obviously in the bubble, I saw Cheese and I saw Rogie a lot in the bubble there with Dallas every day. They're almost going into the arena. So, right. Um, and then I saw, you know, some former players saw Mark Pissick in the bubble and I saw his mom. She was working at the bubble there, too. So, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, uh, great connections uh, here and there. And uh, I got she got in touch when we were in Florida, talked to Henrik Sandlinson. So it was nice to be able to reach out to some former players where we had some uh, great success with those teams. Excellent. Uh, Derek, I really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck for, for you and the Oshawa Generals uh, next season. Uh, and I uh, hope you don't mind if I call you again. No problem, Guy. You can call me anytime. Appreciate the, uh, the opportunity. There's Derek Laxdahl uh, of the Oshawa Generals, uh, which sounds a little funny in my mind to uh, say that. The Oshawa Generals obviously knew him very well during his tenure here with the Edmonton Oil Kings and then went on to the uh, Texas Stars, the Dallas Stars, two and a half years, I believe, in the NHL uh, with the uh, Dallas Stars. And then then all the changes happened for him. Good to see him landing with Oshawa. And uh, one thing I like about Laxie, doesn't sugarcoat anything. Doesn't pull his punches. Talked about how out of shape his team was at the start of the year. How entitled uh, players out of the GTA. And I guess just in that age group uh, these days, how big of a difference he's noticed in kids. Just brutally honest. And I uh, <laughs> love the bit about the penny at the end. Uh, for those who don't know, he's got some superstitions, and that was one of them. Anytime he found a, a lucky penny, boy, it just uh, brightened up his day. Got to the point where uh, Corey Graham, who was doing uh, the uh, play-by-play for the Oil Kings back then, every once in a while, he can't do it every day, of course, but uh, as the coach is coming out for a uh, a pregame uh, conversation, just toss a penny uh, down, uh, just, you know, innocently, so that the coach would be able to see it, and uh, then he's all excited. Hey, lucky penny! Put that into his pocket. I, I got to witness that uh, in Portland during the WHL uh, final in 2014. It was awesome. Great guy uh, and super coach and a fantastic guest as well. Derek Laxdahl. All right, next up, another Derek as we continue on with the uh, Derek show this week. This time we're going to be previewing the Western Hockey League Championship, the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Winnipeg Ice. Derek Neumeyer from McKean's Hockey is my guest. That's next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Hi, this is John Gunther of the Emerson Kings. And he'll lead out three All Kings. Riley Sachuk three on through through neutral ice. Sachuk gains the line, floats it in front for Gunther, charging down. Gunther and it scores! I didn't think they'd find a way to make that work, but it does. 
Dylan Gunther tucks it home. It's 6-3 Edmonton. And you're listening to The Pipeline Show. Nothing compares to the smile on a child's face after their wish has been granted. The Rainbow Society of Alberta is dedicated to granting wishes throughout the province to children who have been diagnosed with a life-threatening or severe chronic medical illness. And you can help too. View the wishes, refer a child, and donate at rainbowsociety.ab.ca or get involved as a volunteer. Having a wish come true fills a child's heart with hope and happiness. Visit rainbowsociety.ab.ca today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Hello there. Hey, we're back on The Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. The program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best, and you can get it in three Edmonton and area locations or by going to their website, and they will ship it to you any order, any size, anywhere in Western Canada. That's wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, my guest this week as we uh, get ready for the WHL Championship that uh, features the Seattle Thunderbirds and the Winnipeg Ice should be a great series. Uh, is uh, my guest is Derek Newmeyer from uh, McKean's Hockey. Uh, Derek, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? Thanks, Guy. Always a pleasure to be back, and I'm doing well. Ready for some, uh, ready for an exciting finale to this great WHL season. Do you think it's going to be as good a series as I do? I, I think it's going to be a very offensive, fast-paced series, uh, and we could see some high-scoring games because there's a lot of talent on these teams. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you said, both teams are very highly talented. Both teams like to play more of an up-tempo style. Um, and, I mean, really, on paper, these are probably the two best teams in the league. They were probably the two best coming into the playoffs. So it's exciting to get to watch, you know, firepower versus firepower go head-to-head in the finals. All right, well, let's break these teams down for uh, maybe there's some people listening to this that don't follow the WHL all that closely. Uh, let's start with the Winnipeg Ice. Uh, tell me about this team, uh, and maybe we'll start in net. we got uh, Daniel Hauser as their starting netminder, Mason Bopit as the backup. He's a San Jose draft pick, but probably won't see this series unless things go sideways uh, for Winnipeg. Tell me about Daniel Hauser as a goaltender uh, in this series at the junior level, and if you think he has uh, pro potential. Well, he's gone undrafted so far, and that's probably going to be the going to continue to be the case for him. Um, unfortunately for him, he is a lot smaller than NHL teams usually are comfortable drafting. But, I mean, he's a very smart goalie, very technically sound. And it's funny because Winnipeg brought in Bo Pitt, you know, who was the San Jose Sharks draft pick, um, a little bit older, you know, more of a projectable pro style Mm -hmm. to maybe challenge Hauser for the starting job, maybe outright win it. But Hauser has outplayed him. I mean, Hauser has really held on to his crease. And it's hard to say that, you know, or it's hard to disagree that it's the right call. You know, he's been really consistent. Um, you know, he doesn't have to often steal a lot of games, but when the team needs a big save, he can do it. You know, he's in position well. He tracks the play well. He does a lot to make up for the limitations with his size, which works really well at this level. But, I mean, hey, who knows? If he keeps performing this well, maybe adds a WHL title to his resume, Maybe that will start to change the opinions of some of the scouts. All right. And the Winnipeg Ice blue line uh, features a couple of drafted players in Carson Lambos and Graham Sward, who they picked up uh, from the Spokane Chiefs earlier this season, along with Mason Bopit. Separate trades, uh, but both coming from Spokane. So you got Lambos and Sward. Those would be the recognizable names for uh, people who don't follow the uh, the WHL closely. 
Uh, but there are some other players on this team that uh, fans should take note of and will probably notice a lot during this series. Uh, what do you like about Winnipeg's blue line? Well, I actually really like uh, Ben Vladi yeah. on, on their blue line. He's an overager, uh, went through the draft three times, never got picked, although I thought he was the guy who was kind of on the cusp uh, the last couple of years, you know, someone that teams probably took a look at pretty closely. You know, maybe some scouts were more supportive of their team picking him than others. But I mean, he just kept getting better and better. You know, he's their power play quarterback. He's their top offensive defenseman. He thinks the game really, really well uh, moving up the ice. You know, he's really good at dissecting opposing defenses. He's excellent on the offensive blue line. And he just knows how to play well with other skills. Like, Winnipeg's a, a high-flying offensive team. They've got a lot of talent at forward. But I think Zlotti is almost under the radar with how important he is to their attack. Like, he really knows how to get the puck up the ice and how to support players like Matt Savoy and Zach Benson in, in their offensive attack. So I really like Zlotti. You know he's playing for an NHL contract. You know, it's too late for him to get drafted, but that doesn't mean he doesn't have pro upside. He could still get signed. And I think if he, you know, has a really good series here, I think that's going to really help his chances. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. What has the addition of Sward done to this uh, for this team? It really balances them out. I mean, Winnipeg, even still today, is more offense-oriented. Mm-hmm. But, you know, over the last couple of years, there were times where they would have to win track meets to win games, you know, winning 6-5 or 7-6, that sort of thing. So there was uh, an unba- a lack of balance there on the defensive side of things. I mean, Sward is, you know, your standard defensive defenseman. But he's also quite mobile. He skates quite well. Um, he's more of like a modern-day defensive defenseman. And really, it was exactly what Winnipeg needed. They needed someone who could handle some of the tougher matchups, you know, take on a big role in the penalty kill, just try to supply that kind of work for their team. And it's a good thing they got him because Seattle has a lot of offensive firepower, too. And Sword's going to have his hands pretty full trying to, you know, shut down the likes of uh, Brad Lambert and Dylan Gunther and everyone on Seattle that we'll get to in a bit. Yeah, and Sward plays a ton. Lambos plays a lot. Zlotti's on the ice all the time as well. So uh, those three guys probably counted on the most uh, from that team. But then you've got some depth players like Carter Prososki, who's got he he might uh, be 19 years old, but he's got like a uh, 39 year old's beard. Uh, right now in the playoffs pretty impressive <laughs> he looks like one of the bgs uh and jonas Wu has played a, a lot he's taken a regular shift since last year's playoff run we saw him against the oil kings uh, in the conference final last year played a ton uh, so he's a really intriguing player moving forward uh, let's go to the uh, forwards for the winnipeg ice and so much depth and i thought this is my take on winnipeg and the difference they are this year compared to last year I really thought that they learned a lesson against the Oil Kings that just having skill wasn't enough. They needed to have some some size and some physicality. And then they go out and get guys like Zach Ostopchuk and Carson Latimer, big bodies who have a ton of skill as well. Mm-hmm. This is a really deep offensive lineup. They're not going to get pushed around, though. No, not at all. And it's, it's very important, right? You need to have a balanced kind of attack. Like, it's one thing to be able to, you know, play with speed and skill. And some, again, some teams that works really well, but there are times where you need to switch things up depending on the game situation. So you're right. Like, adding a Sachuk, a Latimer, Easton Armstrong as a depth guy, yep. those were all additions that made a lot of sense for the ice. And, you know, they have paid off. Like, the team has gotten better as the season went along. You know, they started hot and they had a, you know, they're good through the first half, but they do look a lot more dangerous. 
um, since making those additions. They've been great in the playoffs so far. They've only lost two games. What I think I'm also uh, is also a huge X factor for Winnipeg and something they might need to really rely on in this series against the, the Seattle team that might be a little stronger on paper is that Winnipeg has a lot of familiarity with each other. You guys like Savoy, Geeky, um, Connor McLennan, Owen Peterson, like these guys have all been on the team for three or four years now. They all know each other really well. They all play off each other really well. So I think that's going to be an advantage for them just because they have that level of familiarity and they've been through ups and downs. Like you said, that the series lost to Edmonton last year. So that experience and that familiarity could be a deciding factor. Owen Peterson, a guy I always think he's a, he's a type of player that teams who are going for it will end up trading a third-round pick for to get or something like that to, to help them uh, as a depth guy going forward into their playoff run. Well, Winnipeg didn't have to go do that because they already had him. He's been there so long. He was in Kootenai uh, with the, uh, the ice before mm-hmm. they moved to Winnipeg, uh, along with Connor McLennan. Uh, one of those types of guys. And McLennan's really elevated his game here uh, this season. Great to see for him because of all the injuries that he had to deal with and uh, not getting signed by the Flyers, which as a Flyers fan, I don't understand. Uh, but uh, playing for a contract, much like Ben Zelotti. Uh Matthew Savoy, though, is the guy who is uh, leading this team in scoring right now, and I've kind of been waiting and waiting for him to really bust out, uh, and it's come at the right time for the Winnipeg Ice. Tell me about what you've seen from Matthew Savoy this season, but more specifically in the playoffs. He just kind of has that X factor to his personality and his mental approach that you know he can turn his game on in big times. And we've seen that sometimes. There have been times where you haven't really seen it. But I think as he's gotten more experience in this league, as he's gotten a little bit older, I think he's gotten better at learning how to harness that. So it really is, shouldn't come as a surprise that he's been such a good player for Winnipeg in these playoffs so far. I mean, personally, I think his best hockey is still yet to come. Like, with all due respect to the teams that Winnipeg's beaten so far, Seattle is going to be their toughest challenge by a mile. And I think Savoy will really recognize that. He'll internalize that. And he'll be able to dig deep into himself and elevate his game to a new level that we haven't quite seen yet. Because, yeah, he's, he's, he has that capability. You know, he's the guy who can be a, a key difference maker in tight games. He can break things open. His team's going to need a lot of that, and he's going to know that, and he's going to give everything he can to make it happen. All right, we've been talking about the Winnipeg Ice for uh, seven or eight minutes now. We haven't mentioned Zach Benson at all, and that just speaks to the depth of uh, of the Ice team. Uh, but here's a guy who potentially could be a top 10 pick in the NHL draft next month. For those who haven't had a chance to watch him play, can you break down Zach Benson for us? Oh, yeah, absolutely. He He is an exceptionally smart player. I mean, for my money, he might actually be the single smartest player in this entire draft class, maybe even a little bit more so than Connor Bedard. Obviously, Bedard has the shots and other intangibles, but just in terms of smart hockey sense, just you know, the ability to read and react to the play, I love Benson for that. He, every shift, and his consistency too, like every shift he just knows where to be. He knows you know, where the play is going. He knows what he needs to do. He's not the biggest guy, and he's not the best skater, but he overcomes it so well with just how well he thinks the game and how well he anticipates it. And the more you watch him, the more you appreciate the little things that he does. You know, a little stick lifts in the corner, um, his, his ability to pull pucks out of skates and, you know, find an open teammate. He just always knows where everyone on the ice is. And his ability to move the puck around is also really, really sharp. Uh, he's a great shooter. I mean, get him into a dangerous scoring area with the puck, and he's usually going to make a goaltender pay. You know, he's just a really, really cerebral player. 
Um, normally, a guy with his size and skating pro- profile wouldn't be considered in the top 10 in the draft because it's, it's tough to project it to the NHL level. But he's just so good at so many other parts of his game. He already plays like a guy who's been in the NHL for 10 years, which is the way he you know, handles himself and the way he reads the play. So he's going to be a, a very key player for the ice in this series. Um, seems like he's back to 100% health now or close, which is really good for him. So I think we haven't even seen the best hockey that he has to offer these playoffs. Derek, is there a guy on the uh, the ice team that maybe uh, is in the shadow of, of, of all this talent that we've been talking about, somebody who doesn't get much attention uh, but might be sort of an X factor? Uh, to watch for um ty nash is, is interesting in that in that regard yeah you know he's been he's a bit of like a pest kind of energy player um you know he's been around the league for a couple of years now bounced around a couple teams and he doesn't have a ton of like offensive production in these playoffs so far but he's a guy who can chip in on the score sheet i, I just like what he brings and how he plays he plays hard he plays fast he's competitive and when you get tight games between two really good teams sometimes it's that guy who can just expend that extra little bit of effort that can, you know, make a difference. So I think he's going to be uh, probably on the best of his game um, in this series. It's going to be hard to throw a team like Seattle off their game and, you know, get them out of sorts. But if if he can kind of play on the right side of that pest line and that energy line and bring some physicality and maybe some after whistle scrums, like I could be, I could see him being someone who just gets under their skin enough to make a difference. Some other guys we didn't even mention, Connor Geeky, and we didn't really get into Zach Ostopchuk. Uh, the the X-Factor guy that I think uh, is a bit of a, a secret weapon for Winnipeg, I'm going to go with Vlad Shilo, the uh, 6'3 Belarusian. He's got size, and, man, he's been able to chip in a lot down the stretch. I think he really elevated his game. So uh, the Winnipeg Ice, they're going to be a handful, and yet they're probably, correct me if I'm wrong, the underdog going into this, uh, they have home ice advantage. Getting to play in the uh, the Winnipeg Jets rink will be nice for them. But is that home ice advantage? Do you kind of lose something by playing in a building that's practically neutral territory? You're going to have mostly Winnipeg fans in the in the building, but do they lose a bit of a home ice advantage by doing that? Do you think, Derek? Um, it's possible. It's hard to say. I mean, I can't see many Seattle fans you know, making the trek out to Winnipeg for this series. So I don't know if there'll be much competition for where the cheers are coming from in the crowd, but it is definitely going to be a storyline to keep an eye on, right? Because Seattle throughout this season and last year in the playoffs too, like they had a rock and barn, you know, you could tell they were feeding off the energy of their home crowd. So for the games in Seattle, that's going to be an advantage to them, but how much will home ice be an advantage for Winnipeg? It's, it's kind of hard to say right now. Yeah, it's not their building. It's not their dressing room. It's going to be mm-hmm. different for them. So we'll see. All right, let's go to the Seattle Thunderbirds. And uh, and I guess we should start in net as well. And Thomas Millick is the guy. Uh, Scott Ratzlaff might be the second best goaltender in this series and probably, again, doesn't uh, doesn't see the ice unless things go poorly. Um, let's start with Millick, though, and uh, what you like about him. Uh, I mean, I, I like him a lot. Um, I think it was kind of a shame that he hasn't been drafted the last couple of years. I mean, I see why, but I think he's just played so well this season that I think it, that has to change, especially considering you know him winning a gold medal with Canada and coming up with some big, big saves and some big games for that team. You know, you worry about a goalie who's not the biggest and maybe not necessarily the fastest or the most athletic, but at a certain point, when a guy is stopping pucks so consistently at such a high rate for so long, you start to stop worrying so much about it. Um, and Millich just, he's, he's got such a good brain for the position. 
you know, he knows his positioning really well. He tracks the play in front of him really well. He doesn't really allow many goals that he should have. I mean, every goalie allows goals that they can't stop. But he, the real measure of a quality goaltender is, you know, how consistently you can stop the ones you should stop. And that really is the case with him. He was great for Seattle last year in the playoffs. He played every minute of every game on, on kind of an underdog run that they had. He's played every minute of every game so far this year. He's just got such a good, consistent mental approach. He doesn't get rattled. He doesn't get phased. I mean, this will be the toughest challenge for him. I mean, Winnipeg's got a lot of offensive weapons, so maybe they will be able to get to Milik a little bit more than other teams have had. But I, I think he's really kind of built for this sort of series. I think he's going to be huge for Seattle, and I have a hard time seeing him being any kind of liability if anything, on paper, this is probably the biggest area where Seattle would have an advantage. Yeah, I agree. I think it is a big advantage in net for uh, the, the T-Birds. And Scott Ratzloff is the other goaltender. He was just on the show last week. He's draft eligible. Not the biggest guy in the world either, uh, listed at one. But uh, I'm going to ask you to, to give us a, a scouting report on him. I'm wondering if goalies like Devin Levi now and Dustin Wolf, guys who are you know, also six foot or six one the success that they're having, does that start to change the, the discussion a little bit uh, around goaltenders of that size? I mean, I think it has to, right? Yeah. I mean, Wolf and Levi are two of the best young goaltenders in the world, and there are so many teams that have to be kicking themselves that they didn't draft them sooner, right? These guys went at the very end of their draft years, and now they're, they've outplayed guys that have been picked ahead of them. They've, you know, In Levi's case, he came right into Buffalo and started outplaying the guys they already had on contract in the NHL. Mm-hmm. So I, I, obviously there are still concerns. I mean, it just when you're a small goaltender, there is so much more room for opposing forwards to shoot at. But I think once you start looking at track record, it, it really does start to tip the scales the other way. Like I was saying with Malik, you know, all he ever does is stop pucks. He's consistently shown his ability to stop pucks. And when you've got that kind of stack, or stat profile and track record, it really does assuage some of those concerns you have. And Ratzlaff is a similar sort of way um, in terms of how he plays. It must be funny that being the goalie coach in Seattle with both Millick and Ratzlaff because they're so similar. I don't think you really need to alter your uh, education or your development going from one goaltender to the other. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I think teams have to start coming back away from relying too much on size. I think the biggest goal to, or the goalies that are going to get picked the highest this year are going to be some of the bigger ones, like your Michael Harabal and your Carson Bjarnason. But I think the success of Levi and Wolf will start to tweak at least a little bit the philosophy that NHL teams have about goaltenders who aren't that size. So I, I think Ratzlaff will still go relatively high, at least in the middle rounds, just because he is a, a very technically sound goaltender, a very smart goaltender. Um, you know, winning gold with Canada at the Linka will certainly, it's a nice thing to have on his resume. It shows how well he can handle pressure. It's really is too bad he is playing behind Millick in Seattle because on a lot of other teams, he would have been the starter all season. For sure. Derek Newmeyer is my guest. He's a scout with McKean's Hockey. All right, let's go to the blue line for the Seattle Thunderbirds. Uh, led by, well, their top four is really solid. They got a couple of Chicago Blackhawk prospects in Nolan Allen, Kevin Korchinski, both of them first round picks. Uh, Luke Prokop, who they picked up from the Oil Kings, so he's got uh, lots of experience and a WHL championship uh, behind him. Uh, and Jeremy Hansel uh, rounding out that top four. Somewhat surprised that he isn't drafted uh, just yet. Uh, could still uh, have that this uh, next month. Uh, but what do you like about Seattle's defense? 
I mean, it's pretty hard to beat a top four like that. Yeah. And also, I, it's worth mentioning, uh, Sawyer Minio has been really, really good for them uh, throughout this whole season. You know, he might be their number five on the depth chart, but he's been a guy who's been able to move up in their lineup and play a lot of minutes and hasn't looked out of place with a lot of those other big guys. He scored a huge goal in that deciding game against Kamloops in the last series. So you really, if you're Seattle, you have to be really confident about the, the depth that you have. I mean, sometimes in a playoff series, if a game's really tight, you want to shorten your bench a little bit, go down to maybe just uh, two defensive pairs. And with the guys they have there, like they can certainly do that. And you like the balance they have too. Like Korchinski is a you know a top tier offensive defenseman, but then you've got Allen and Prokop who are big, mobile, physical shutdown guys. You know they can match up against the best players on other teams, kill penalties, close out games late. And then you've got Hansel who has had a tremendous year. Uh, I thought there have been times this season where he's been their best player on the ice, forward or defense. He's had a tremendous season, um, and he can do a little bit of everything for them. You know, he can chip in offensively. He can play defensively. He can match up well. He skates well. He handles the puck well. Uh, it, I was a little surprised that he didn't get picked in his first year of eligibility. The next year after that, he was a little – I didn't see as much growth as I would have expected. But this year, he's really learned how to – apply the great physical tools that he has in in a way that is more productive. Like his game has taken huge strides. And I really, I, I think he still has a lot of room left to grow, even though he's 19 or 20 right now. Like he's got a lot of upside that I think still hasn't been tapped into. I think for sure, as even as a double overager, I think he'll be a guy that draws a lot of NHL attention this draft. All right, let's go to the forward group, and I don't even know where to start with this forward uh, crop uh, for the Seattle Thunderbirds. Seven guys who have uh, ties to NHL clubs uh, now and uh, probably will have more than that. Uh, well, certainly after the draft, because there'll be a couple of guys who get taken in the draft for sure and, and maybe a free agent signing or two after that. They acquired two guys at the deadline. They didn't even know 100% if they were going to get, and they get both Dylan Gunther and Brad Lambert. Man, they've just been massive additions to a team that was already loaded. Oh, yeah. It's almost unfair, right? I mean, if, if you were to add one of those players and not the other, I still would have said that Seattle on paper was probably the best team in the entire CHL. Yeah. You know, it was with just one of Lambert or Gunther. So the fact that they managed to get both is almost unfair <laughs> to the rest of the league and to whoever Seattle might potentially face in the Memorial Cup if they can get through this series. Um, with Gunther, there's just so much to like. You know, he, he's never seemed satisfied by the fact that he's accomplished so much. And you've got a guy who's, you know, got a, a trophy case full of gold medals from Hockey Canada. He's already played in the NHL this year. You know, he's won the WHL title last year with Edmonton. But he's not slowing down. He's not taking his foot off the gas. Even though he's in this new organization with Seattle, you know, new teammates, he still wants to help them win. He's still committed. He's still one of their best players night in, night out, which really goes to show just high, high, how high his character is to go along with all the talent he has. Uh, Lambert's been really fun to watch, too, honestly. You know, there's a guy with a ton of talent, but just hasn't quite been able to click with where he's played over the last few years, you know, different places in Finland, a little bit in the AHL this year. But in Seattle, it seems like he's really found an environment that's conducive for him. And he's been terrific. I mean, he might have been the best player in the WHL, period, uh, next to Bedard, of course, uh, from when he joined the league. He's been that good. 
Um, you know, he's, he's got a lot to prove, I think. You know, he dropped in the draft probably higher than he would have expected to, at least where he was projected to go the year before. Uh, so he's, he's playing at the best of his ability. He's putting all those skills to good use, and it's been really fun to watch. And then, yeah, where, where do you go next with Seattle? You know, Reed Schaefer and Yuka Mayadovic and Colton Dock. Like, there's just so many different ways that Seattle can beat you up front. Well, the Gunther leads the team uh, with 14 goals, but next is Jared Davidson, who is uh, an overager, I believe, when, well, not an overager, but a, a 19-year-old when Montreal drafted him. Uh, and he's got 21 points. He's got 10 goals. And then there's a bit of a drop after Gunther and Davidson in, in terms of who's scoring goals. Now, that's not to say they're struggling for offense in Seattle. They they just like to share that offense around. But Jared Davidson has really uh, come through here as a uh, another offensive weapon and he's been that since he's uh for the last few years in seattle but even with all this higher end drafted upper echelon offensive nhl talent that uh, seattle has brought in he's right there with those guys mm-hmm, absolutely and he's been with seattle for a while you know he was there for their big playoff run last year and really that was probably the main reason why he got drafted you know he was so good in the playoffs last year and i'm sure montreal scouts were watching and they said this guy's has what it takes like we want to you know invest in him so having that familiarity certainly helps you know he's a big part of that locker room i'm sure you know he knows the city well he knows the organization you know he's, he's been there for a while and he's grown into that sort of leadership role and you know who knows how much of his offensive game has been unlocked by what's happened since that draft right he goes to montreal's like you know development camps and whatnot you know he gets to you know practice and do some scrimmages and stuff with the other top prospects in the Montreal system. And now he's getting to learn, you know, tricks of the trade from guys like Gunther and Lambert and Schaefer. So it's not surprising that his offensive game has taken a nice step forward, but it's, it's been a huge difference maker for Seattle because he's also a guy who can play well, you know, without the puck, you know, he can play center. He's just a very well-rounded player for them. And that, that growth has been a huge part of their success this year. Well, some of those guys, when they bring talent in, get pushed further down the depth chart, and I'm thinking guys like Kyle Krinkovic, who they picked up from Saskatoon in the offseason, and he was a top-five player in the scoring race in the league before that. Uh, Now he's playing second, third, sometimes even on the fourth line. Lucas Siona, who's a Calgary Flames prospect, had a heck of a season, 75 points. He's only got seven in the playoffs because he's playing further down the depth chart, yet those guys are still, you can't forget about them just because they're – not on the top line anymore. They're still top line caliber players. And that just, again, speaks to the depth of this team. And, and one of the reasons for the success of this team is that they've got guys who can play in different roles. Like with Reed Schaefer, you can move him up or down a lineup and right. still get a lot of success. Uh, even someone like Nika Mayadovic is the same sort of way. You know, maybe at the, at the pro levels, he kind of tops out as like a bottom six forward, but he's just really good as a bottom six forward. And he's also a guy who can contribute offense when he gets the chance, as evidenced by his 30 goals this year. Uh, another great example is Colton Dock. You know, in, in most of his WHL career, he's been a top six forward offensive role. But he's also a guy who can slot into different places. At, at the World Juniors of Canada, he played more of a def- defensive bottom six role. That's more so how he's been used in the playoffs so far with Seattle. So their ability to kind of move guys around and have them do different things has been a huge part of their success. All right, two guys uh, to talk about when it comes to the draft uh, from the forwards uh, for Seattle. Nico Mayadovic is one of them. You just mentioned his name. Um, maybe, well, And Grayson Souchin is the other one. Uh, we'll get to Souchin in a second. Uh, let's start with Mayadovic, though, and, and what you like from him. 
Yeah, I actually like him a lot. He's, he's a guy that grew on me. Um, I liked him last year just in the playoffs and seeing what he could do. I knew he wasn't draft eligible, but he's still a guy that just stood out positively for me. And that just started happening more and more this year. And I think that kind of goes to show just how good he can be, right? When you've got a team with this much star power, so many good players who can take over games and stand out and drive play. There are a lot of times I kept coming back and noticing my attitude more and more as someone who was driving the bus, so to speak. Uh, I just love the power that he plays with. You know, he's got a lot of uh, strength in his lower body. Uh, he's got great long strides with his skating. He's a great penalty killer, a great forechecker. He's just able to open up the ice really, really well. And kind of like with what I was saying with Davidson, just being around so many skilled players, so many offensive guys, I'm sure he's learned a lot from them about how to contribute more at the other end of the ice. So this season, we've really seen him blossom into more of a two-way threat, a guy who can – he's still a great you know, off-puck player, still a great defender, still a great penalty killer, but also a guy who knows a little bit more about how to carry the puck into the middle of the ice, how to get it towards the front of the net, how to do better with the shooting chances he got. I mean, he's went from four goals to 30, mm-hmm. so that, that's a huge amount of growth. And when you're a scout, you always want to see growth. You don't want to see guys who are kind of stalling as to what they're capable of and what they're contributing. If a guy has shown growth one year over another, it's a good sign that he's going to be able to continue growing and improving moving forward into the pros. All right, and the other guy is Grayson Souchin, who uh, comes in uh, via the U.S. National Development Program into Seattle. Uh, Played for the U-17 squad last year. Uh, And this year in Seattle... 58 points in 58 games, uh, 18 of those were, were goals, so didn't have quite the uh, the goal-scoring season that Majadovic did, but uh, there's lots to like about Souchin's game as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. He's almost like a secret weapon for Seattle. He's a guy that scouts really, really started watching a lot more closely as the season went along. Um, that was happening even before the CHL Top Prospects game, and then Souchin had a great showing at the CHL Top Prospects game. And all of a sudden, scouts want to watch him a whole lot more. Uh, he's not more—he's more of a playmaker than a shooter, um, but he's just really, really good at the puck. Really good at finding his teammates. Really good at elevating the play of the guys around him. Um, it is kind of a shame that he hasn't been able to play more uh, at different points in this season. But he's like Myatovic, hes a guy who still keeps finding ways to show up and to stand out. Which, as I was saying, it's not easy to do when there's so much talent around him. You know, in a different organization this year, he might have gotten a lot more minutes, might have put up more points, but he's a guy who's very, very capable. He's probably going to go relatively high in the draft, you know, probably in the first two rounds, maybe the first, just because he's a, he kind of a wizard with the puck. He can play center. Uh, he doesn't cheat when he's off the puck. Like, he's got a good two-way presence. Not the biggest guy and, and not the fastest, but he plays in a way – with how he drives possession and can control the play that should translate well to the NHL. So, yeah, I mean, good luck to Winnipeg. You (laughs) might try and find a way to neutralize Gunther and uh, Lambert and all the other guys, but then you have to find ways to neutralize the depth guys like Souchin or Siona. So it's going to be a lot for them to handle. The uh, playoff format here in the final, it's going to be two games in Winnipeg, then three back in Seattle, and then games uh, six and seven, if necessary, uh, back in Winnipeg. To me, if we're going to go predictions, I'm going to say Seattle, and it might be in five. Uh, I I think they're going to split in Winnipeg, and then uh, I'm going to say Winnipeg wins game two after Seattle takes it to them in game one. 
Uh, but I'm going to say Seattle wins game the, the all three games in in Seattle. Uh, what's your thoughts? I would have to agree. I mean, I know, I know it's not very fun for <laughs> having a conversation, but I think I think Seattle in five would be where I would lean with my gut reaction. Like, and that's not to say that Winnipeg is a bad team because they're really not. Like Winnipeg is a great team. You know, they've got talent at all positions. They they have the balance I was talking about before, but on paper, just Seeing how they stack up against Seattle, I just don't quite like their odds. Um, the inexperience in net is a little concerning. I, I think Seattle's depth, just the way they were able to construct this roster, is just you know it's kind of astonishing. You know, you get Davidson back as an overager. You add Gunther and Lambert. You convince Souchin to come over from the national program in the states. Like, just, I don't know how a team like Winnipeg is going to be able to contain that depth when Seattle can roll really like four whole lines that can beat you. So I, I think it's going to be a close series in terms of the score. I don't think Seattle's going to blow Winnipeg out or anything like that, but I think Seattle just has a little too much there, and I think they're going to find a way to edge out uh, the games and the series pretty quickly. All right. Well, it all gets going uh, on uh, Friday night, uh, so we're looking forward to that. Derek, I really appreciate your time. Uh, enjoy the series, and uh, maybe we'll chat again before the draft. Absolutely. I'd love to. Thank you again for having me. Derek Neumeyer from McKean's Hockey with a uh, an assistance there on uh, setting up the WHL Championship, Seattle and Winnipeg getting together this weekend. Friday night it all starts off, and I do like that they get to play in the big rink in Winnipeg. I think it really would have been a black eye for the WHL, especially on national TV, that their league championship would have potentially been played at the University of Manitoba. No offense to the University of Manitoba and the Bisons, uh, but it's a 1,600-seat facility, not up to WHL standards. Never was supposed to be the uh, long-term home for the uh, the Winnipeg Ice, and uh, lots of rumors about what will happen after the Ice are done playing this year. Will they be back in Winnipeg? Will they have the same ownership? All that for uh, a month from now. But first, we got a WHL championship and an Ed Chenoweth Cup to award. Uh, I've picked Seattle. I said in five games. You tell me what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at TPS underscore Gee. One more segment to go, and another Derek will join me. This time, it's the head coach from the Robert Morris Colonials. The NCAA Division I program is back. For the first time since 2021, the Colonials will be back on the ice. And head coach Derek Schooley is still the head coach, and he joins me next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. Hey, it's Don Holloway from the Wisconsin Badgers. Now he goes cross ice, center ice to Holloway. Drop pass between his legs, white spot, three feet, Holloway open, score! <laughs> what a fantastic play! Holloway, white spot, back to Holloway. And you're listening to Pipeline Show. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness gracious me! Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. 
We are back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, and uh, we're going to continue this week's episode with a NCAA campus report. Of course, those always brought to us by our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, there are things that you need to know to uh, do or not do to maintain your NCAA eligibility, and a great resource for that is College Hockey, Inc. And their website, uh, get in contact with Mike Snee or the crew over there, and they can answer any questions that you might have. That's at collegehockeyinc.com. All right, this week, uh, my guest. Well, it's interesting because last year in the NCAA, we had uh, Alaska, uh, the Seawolves from Anchorage, returning to the Division I NCAA ranks, and uh, we had new teams uh, in Lindenwood and Stonehill as well. They're going to be full-time this year, uh, and uh, we've got a new, another program that's uh, coming back, and that is uh, Robert Morris and the head coach uh, for the Colonials, is Derek Schooley. Uh, Coach, welcome back to the Pipeline Show. How are you? I appreciate you having me. I'm excited uh, to be here and, uh, and just uh, enjoying the summer. Well, I appreciate you being available like this, and I don't. I, I wasn't sure if you'd be super busy or if it was a bit of a, I, don't, I guess maybe in the off-season there really is no off-season anymore. Uh, what have you been doing in the last little while? Well, I mean, for the last little while, I guess for the last two years, I've been undefeated, so I, don't, I don't <laughs> guess I don't have to, to, to say anything about that, but we're we're just putting the the program back together uh, a little over uh, just a little under two years ago on on May 26th of I guess 2021 uh, the university decided that uh, it didn't want hockey anymore at Robert Morris we had just come off of uh, a West uh, Atlantic Hockey Championship uh, I was coach of the year in the league our women's team had just went to the NCAA tournament and uh, they were it was decided that. Uh, uh, we w- would move on from hockey, but a, a grassroots groundswell uh, from local community, uh, the city of Pittsburgh, uh, hockey community, basically the hockey community all over uh, North America uh, got behind uh, basically the Save Robert Morris Hockey push. Uh, there was a Pittsburgh College Hockey Foundation was established, which was made up of alums and supporters and here we are uh, two years later, uh, putting the teams back together and uh, being ready to play on October 7th. It's, uh, it's been a long two years, a lot of ups and downs. I've done more fundraising, more interviews, more talked about this more than ever. I just want to get back to coaching and uh, that'll be, be fun and exciting. And uh, we're almost there. We've got uh, just uh, one need one more forward and uh, another goaltender and we will be back to full strength and ready to go. Wow. Well, we'll get to uh, what's coming ahead for uh, for your club uh, in a second. I want to reflect a little bit, and uh, maybe since it's been a couple of years, if you've had time to reflect on how everything has unfolded and transpired, it must have been such a, a gut punch when you first got the news that the, the hockey programs were going to be uh, shelved. And then you flip that with the, the groundswell of wh- what you called the grassroots support. Uh, that must have been really uplifting and exciting and reassuring as well at the same time. It, quite, it must have been a, quite an emotional ride. A roller coaster for sure. I'm uh, if you, I'm an answer to a trivia question now in the NCAA. Name the only NCAA coach in, in history to start the same program twice. <laughs> and uh, I started it in 2003. We played in 2004. This is my second time uh, spending a year plus recruiting and um, I got a lot of pride in, in this program and what it's accomplished. We've won three, three regular season championships. We've been to the NCAA tournament and it's just, uh, I've got a lot of pride in it. I'm excited that it's back. I'm appreciative. We've got more donors, 
more media support, more season ticket holders, uh, and more people talking about Robert Morris hockey than it, they did previously. And that's not to say that uh, they weren't talking about it before, but it, people are just excited we're back. We're the only college hockey team in, in Western Pennsylvania, and there's only three in the state with us and Mercyhurst and Penn State. So we're, we're excited to be back. We've got a very challenging schedule, and uh, it has been a, an interesting two years. Like I said, May 26th will mark the, the two-year anniversary of the program being dropped. It was out of nowhere. Like I said, we had won the regular season championship uh, in the west side of Atlantic hockey because of COVID that year, and um, our women's team had went to the NCAA tournament. So it was uh, unexpected, but uh, the right people jumped on board. I couldn't have done it without the support of uh, our fundraisers, uh, TJ Brown, our athletic director, Chris King, was really instrumental in, in this. He did not want hockey to go away. And um, then you can't uh, thank the board of trustees enough of, of listening and bringing it back. And we've got a great new president right now and in, in Dr. Michelle Patrick, who's uh, she's been on the job for just a little under a year now. And she's been uh, really excited about having hockey back and uh, the publicity it's bringing and Hey, we posted two frozen fours and uh, Robert Morris has is, is only been around for 20, will be 20 years here from the start in uh, October. But um, we got a, we had a really good following, a really good name and people have recognized us and um, it's good to be back. And, and um, you know, you bring up Robert Morris and the first thing they want to ask about is just what you asked about. And uh um, hopefully we can move past that and be a, a great uh, story moving forward for the future. Well, I know you go back to maybe some of your championship years or when the team has had success, and you probably over the course of those seasons probably had to go through adverse some through some adversity along the way, and and eventually that makes the team maybe in the room come together and on the ice you kind of rally around stuff like that. I wonder if this instance for the program as a whole. Do you come out the other side better? Do you think you're a better program or it will be a better program having gone through this? You don't want to go through it, but now that you're on the other side of it or about to be, do you think in the long run it might be a, a, a beneficial thing? Well, I mean, we started uh, the year we went to the NCAA tournament. We were 2-12-2 at Christmas and ended up 19-18-5 and, and, and uh, played Minnesota at the Excel Energy Center. So uh, we had a quick, we had a good turnaround there. Uh, people have brought that up to me. They brought it up that, Hey, this, this could be a, a big turnaround for Robert Morris hockey. And this could be a big turnaround for uh, like everything that you just said of getting more support and more uh, I guess, more things out there. And we just, um, you, you hate to think it because of everything that we've been through. I, I still feel for all the players that we had here that had to find new homes that didn't want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we've, we've had to work really hard. So could it, we be better on the other side? I hope uh, uh, we're going to be at least the same. And it took us 10 years to win our, our first championship. And I started when I was 32. I'm 52 now, so I don't really want to wait 10 more years again. So we'll we'll try to get back there a, a lot quicker this time. Derek Schooley's the head coach at Robert Morris uh, University with the Colonials and uh, back on the ice uh, this coming season. Uh, my guest here on the Pipeline Show Speaking of the roster, do you have any players who were with you three, four years ago who are still with the program uh, this coming season? We have three players that uh, played in our last year. Gavin Goulash was a freshman at that time. He had played 
all of our games except for a couple because he was out with uh, uh, COVID. And that's our last year was a COVID year. We didn't play in front of any fans. Right. Uh, Matt Hutton had played uh, a couple games with us that year. And, and Cameron Eber had been a sophomore with us. He was our most improved player that year. So we've got three players back. Uh, Cameron had left and went to uh, St. Avex. And Matt had left and went to St. Mary's, a Division Three school. And they both came back in, um, last year. And Gavin's been here. Gavin didn't go anywhere. So uh, those three guys have been here uh, through thick and thin. And I'm excited to have them uh, uh, have an opportunity to play again and, and represent Robert Morris. What does that mean to you as the coach, to, to have these guys that dedicated to, to, well, to the program and to you? Well, I mean, it, it was... It was, it was such a, it was the hardest thing of it was to have to talk to the kids and uh, tell the kids and then have conversations with other schools about these kids because you didn't want them to leave. Yeah. And uh, it wasn't like they were leaving because they were bad kids or got in trouble or bad players. It, it was like, completely out of our control. And to have uh, guys that are still here, and I still communicate a lot with guys that have graduated and uh, guys that are even playing at other places that will text me every once in a while and uh, just to, I'll check in with them to see how they're doing, and uh, it's it's a it's a bond of something that you could have never uh, thought about going through, and certainly don't want to do it again. But uh, we're looking towards the future. We're excited to have those three guys. We had three other players on campus this whole year. We practiced with uh, the men's and women's teams combined. We had twelve total student athletes, six men and six women, and trained. And um, like I said, we're we're preparing uh, for. Our first game, which is October 7th, that's our first home games. The women play on the road the week before that, and um, we're excited to see both of our programs back. To some degree, when it comes to recruiting, are you almost feeling, or is it almost reminiscent from when you started the program 20-some years ago? Well, we've got a history, and we could talk about that we had won championships. We've got a locker room, which would, would have been in construction last time we, we, were done, we were doing it. We've got a very nice uh, dressing room, lounge weight room, all that stuff that hadn't been there before. Uh, remini- it's a lot different, I think, with the transfer portal and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people putting uh, off commitments, being decommitted, uh, changing their commitment. I think it's a, it's a lot different. It, it, there's a lot of things that you can draw from, but we started last time with 26 freshmen, uh, one junior, and two sophomores. And we will have uh, we'll have a, a lot more. We'll have probably close to eight fifth-year seniors this time. We'll have uh, two or three juniors, uh, two or three sophomores, and then probably within that freshman class, we'll probably have about twelve or thirteen. So it'll be a lot different this time. But there are some parallels, and being able to do it twice, uh, I never thought. I haven't coached. Uh, there's been I've been a head coach for for twenty years, and there's been three years I haven't coached. So. Uh, maybe if there's somebody else that's starting a program that just wants me to come and start it up, it'll I can keep being undefeated year after year. <laughs> right. Uh, well, you mentioned the uh, the transfer portal, and I know that's a, a hot button topic for uh, for college hockey in the last two three seasons, and even more so now. And maybe you feel, hey, right now it's a huge benefit for for you because you, you need to find players. I don't know if that'll change over the next three or four seasons. Let's say, and if uh, if it becomes something you don't like as much, but it's been a pretty useful tool for you right now. Yeah, we've, we're on the one way of the transfer portal. We're not losing anybody. Right. Previously, we had lost uh, uh, our, our goaltender, Francis Murat, graduated and then went to Clarkson and 
uh, became an All-American. That was uh, one time that we had lost somebody on the transfer portal, but that was when grad students could do it. Now anybody can go at any time and you ca- you hear about it, college free agency. And we're just, uh, we're just signing people from the portal. We haven't lost anybody yet. So right now it's pretty easy for me. I, I like, uh, I like this aspect of it. I'm sure next year when, when somebody wants to leave or somebody doesn't want to be here anymore, I'm not going to like that aspect of it, but it's here. It's not going anywhere. We've got to learn to, to adjust and, uh, other coaches have had opportunities to to get people, lose people, and, and they're adjusting, and I will have to do the same thing. But I don't think it's going anywhere. It's not going to change. There may be some minor tweaks to it, such as start dates and how long it's open. But other than that, uh, it's here to stay. So we've got to figure out how to, to manage this and, and make sure that uh, you do the best for, for your program, but also the best for the student-athletes. I'm curious. Uh, I don't know the ins and outs of the portal and what the rules are, what's protocol, what's bad, and what you're allowed and what not to do. If I let's say I'm a player and I was playing on a program, maybe I didn't get a whole lot of ice time. Maybe I'm looking for a change. If you're a coach and you like me as a player, are you allowed to reach out to me, or do I have to to make that decision first and put my name out there? How does that work? You have to go to your compliance office and, and put your name in the transfer portal first. Okay. Um, I use, I go back to the, the last year before we played. Um, we had Jordan Timmons, who was at UConn, He's a Pittsburgh kid, played for P- Pittsburgh Penn's Elite, then went to the USHL and he had 20 goals. And I had watched him growing up and he scored goals, but he went to UConn and he was lost in the shuffle and didn't play in those same scenarios and um, kind of got lost in his first two years there. And we brought him in after he went in the transfer portal. We talked to him. We recruited him just like we would with a normal student uh, previous to college because he is talking to other schools as well. And we sold him on coming to Robert Morris, playing close to home, and ended up having nine goals for us in 12 games. He got hurt, hmm. or he would have had a lot more than that. But uh, he, he scored in his first – had two goals in his first two games for us, and uh, he had, hadn't scored in 37 previous. So that was a, a good – fit for us to take somebody off the transfer portal and that's really what's happening now all these players are throwing their names in the portal and, and then it becomes recruiting battles and I think we've done a pretty good job right now we've got two goalies four D and we've got three forwards and still looking for one more forward and then we'll uh, uh, be done with uh, our transfer portal for this year. Alright well let t- tell me a bit about your roster and what sort of a team you're, you're uh, looking to build here is, is sort of the identity of the coach ends up being the identity of the team uh, what should we expect from the colonials this year on the ice well we like to play offensive hockey we have since day one i like guys who can get up and down the rink and have uh, compete for really high have a high compete level and and make sure that they uh you know have a good hockey iq and can skate those are the three things i really look for is compete being able to skate and uh, a hockey iq and uh you know you can make uh uh, everybody into different parts, but we, we feel we put together a really good team from top to bottom. Uh, we started out in, in goal and we've got two really good fifth year goalies. Uh, Chad Veltry was at uh, Niagara university for four years. He's from Pittsburgh. I grew up, he won a national championship at U18 with Penn's elite. And uh, he played 40 games for Niagara last year. He was the commissioner's uh, goalie of the month, one month in all of college hockey. So we feel we had, hit a home run there. And then we've got a sleepy uh, uh, second goalie in Francois Beauvert who played at uh, St. Lawrence, played a lot his freshman year, 
didn't play much the years after that. And, you know, he was just wants an opportunity to continue playing hockey. And we have that there for him. And, uh, we, we got four really good, solid defensemen out of the transfer portal. Uh, one from Boston college, one from Providence, uh, one from Mercyhurst and one from St. Thomas. And then, uh, there's some really good young defensemen that we're really excited about. Luke Van Wy was just named to the North American league, uh, all, um, uh, the all NAHL first team, I guess you would say it today. And uh, we're excited about him and um, a couple other big, strong, solid defensemen. So uh, we put the, we started kind of in the net out and moved that way. And then up front, we've got Riley St. Ange, who had 15 goals two years ago for Mercyhurst. It's probably our highest profile uh, transfer forward. And Dallas Tulik had, was second on uh, Ferris State two years ago in scoring. And then we've just got a whole bunch of what we feel are really good offensive players coming in. Um, going from the, the OJHL, we've got about four or five of them and George Kateris and McKay Hayes. Uh, and I'm going to forget somebody, Cam Garvey's playing in the Centennial Cup this weekend um, for, for Collingwood. But, uh, you know, just guys that we think are going to be able to play very good, solid hockey players. And we're going to have to fill a lot of holes. And um, my assistant, Matt Nicholson, likes to say, get a lot of uh, tread on the tire with these freshmen and have some older guys be able to take uh, some minutes away from them and uh, go from there. So we, we like where we're at. I always, I joke to all of our other coaches down in Florida. I said, make sure you pick us 11th. And they're like, you're not an 11th place team already. <laughs> and I said, so, well, still put, please pick us 11th. So um, that's, it's kind of where we're at. I, I want to, I, we want to play offense, but we, we have to be good in our own end. Um, I don't know how much we're going to score right off the bat. So we got to be good. Um, in our own end and, and uh, you know, get up the ice and skate and compete. And obviously having two good fifth-year goalies. And I said Chad Veltri has been a um, a mainstay for Niagara, and we know that he can play very well in this league. And excited to have a Pittsburgh kid back uh, uh, leading us. The fun fact of this, uh, our last win we ever played was, uh, our, our fun fact was uh, was against Niagara, our last win. Chad Veltri was the goalie of record uh, for Niagara against us. And then in the playoffs, he ended uh, uh, our season that year, too. He was the goalie of record for their win. So we, uh, he will be now on the other side of the, the coin coming out when we start a program back up. Nice. I'm in Canada. I'm Canadian, so I always have an interest in, uh, in talking with the Canadians uh, that are playing college hockey. You've got about, well, not quite half of your roster is coming from Canada, a little less than that. Uh, is is recruiting from Canada a priority for your program? Absolutely. We feel that we can get good players from everywhere. And like I said, we, we went through the, the whole list of, of where we're getting players. And uh, we've got a couple from the CCHL and um, one from the, the AJHL and, and uh, um, Tanner Klempke, mm-hmm. who was with White Court at the end of the year. And you, and we've got Michael Craig, who I'm, I didn't mention him earlier, but he's been the captain in Naimo for two years and, and just been one of the leading scorers in the, the BCHL. So we've got him from coast to coast, from, you know, the OJ to the, the CCHL to Alberta and, and BC. And, um, yeah, we're, there's always going to be, uh, uh, our, our U.S. kids are going to probably come mostly from the, the North American League and some from the USHL, but, we're going to be coast to coast in Canada and we feel that we can get good players there. And um, we've got a lot of them and uh, you go down the list of, 
of, like you said, we're about 50-50 right now, Canadians and Americans. Well, I'm wondering how much extra recruiting you've been able to do over the last couple of years, not having a, you know, a, a, a program that's been on the ice. Have you been uh, all over the place, uh, even more so than usual? Well, it's been, you can only do so much. You can't go out every weekend. You'd, you'd crush your, your budget. It's, it's allowed me to do a lot of other things. I've, I've, uh, been able to be a, a hockey dad for, for my three kids going to different places and, and watching them play my, my uh, oldest daughter will be a freshman on Robert Morris uh, women's team next year, so I'm excited to to watch her journey through through college as well. But um, we've been out a lot, and Matt Nicholson and myself uh, hit the road running in in September, and one by one we started putting this together. And like I said, I'm, I'm sure I'm going to be remiss in, in missing one or two of our what what we feel are really good players coming out of all different leagues. But it's uh, um, it's tough. We're the biggest thing that we're going to have to work on, we talked, you talked about, you know, have I been out recruiting is, is going to have to rebuild our culture. We're going to have to start our culture and, and bring it from top to bottom. And we had a really good culture. And now we just have to make sure that we uh, started over again and, and get the right kind of people. We wanted to get captains. We wanted to get guys that, that wore letters. And um, I think we've done that so far, but culture is big. And, and, and I think that that's something we've, been able to work on with the kids that we had on campus and we'll continue to work on throughout the summer with the kids we have coming into campus as well is your schedule uh, for the coming season already set in stone uh it is i can't announce it we have announced our opening weekend we will open uh, october 7th at home against bowling green okay. and then the next day we will cha- uh, travel to bowling green uh on october 8th so we'll play a home and home there uh but we do have some uh, you know really good uh, teams on our schedule. We're going to be going uh, like a, once again. We're going to be going from coast to coast. And when I when you might be a, a team that you mentioned earlier uh, that that restarted their program last year, and I mean it's just opportunities to play some different people and and go I mean go some different places. We're always going to play the the local rivalries uh, over time between Penn State, Ohio State, Miami, Bowling Green. There, you're going to see those teams all littered on our schedules over time. But we've got some other ones that are on our schedule this year that we haven't had the opportunity to play, and it'll be fun for our, our first team to be able to do that. Excellent. You're back in Atlanta hockey, aren't you? Yes, we are. We will uh, 26 games, and uh, we will. Uh, I think they're going to be announcing the schedule. I think July 1 of, of uh, Atlanta hockey. Excellent. Well, I really appreciate your time, Coach. Looking forward to uh, seeing uh, Robert Morris back on the ice this coming season. It's uh, It's been weird not having the program around for the last couple of years, uh, just from the outside looking in, uh, let alone, I'm sure, from your perspective. So exciting uh, that uh, the team is back uh, for this coming season. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you having me, and hopefully we won't have to, to wait two more years to get me back on the pipeline. Well, let's try to make that happen so it isn't another uh, long stretch before Derek Schooley is back on the Pipeline show. That was great to track him down. He was on the program. Actually, it's been a lot longer than two years. I think it was like 2017 or 2016, something like that, uh, the last time uh, he was on the program. So great to catch up with him and great to have Robert Morris back. The Colonials, they shouldn't have gone anywhere. Uh, So terrific that they're back. That makes Atlantic Hockey back up to 12 teams as well. And Remember, we had that discussion uh, not that long ago about maybe Atlantic Hockey should cut itself in half and add some of those new teams like Stonehill and Long Island and 
We'll see with all these new programs coming in and uh, more on the way. Uh, the landscape of Division One NCAA hockey, it's uh, it's evolving, and we'll see where it goes. That is going to do it for this week's episode of the show. Uh, thanks to all three guests that you heard from. Next week on the program, well, the finals in the in the queue, the WHL and the Ontario Hockey League and the USHL, they'll all be on, and uh, we'll be uh, probably halfway through some of those series. I think we'll be down to the final four teams in the uh, North American Hockey League. Of course, the Centennial Cup will be uh, already well underway as well, so we'll have lots of updates as the playoffs continuing and wrapping up for some leagues. Of course, the Memorial Cup still to come after the CHL playoffs. So, so lots to get to. The draft, not that far away anymore. Have one high-profile player that I'm still uh, trying to track down and might be for next week, might be the week after. I have a pretty good feeling that it will happen before the draft. I don't want to jinx it, so I'm not going to mention his name. But there is a lot still to get to before the draft comes and before the end of Season 18 at the end of July. Season 19 will start in August. Thanks to all those who have been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash thepipelineshow. A couple of bucks a month, even less than that on an annual uh, subscription. I think it would come out to about 20 bucks a year, maybe 20, 21, something like that. How about you get early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show? If that's something that would be of interest to you or you know somebody, maybe it's uh, maybe it's a gift for Father's Day, something like that. Go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show. All right, I'm out of here until next week. Uh, between now and then, watch some playoff hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on the Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Gee Flaming. See you later.